Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Last Sunday, we began a series of lessons from the book of Romans talking about being right with God. What does it mean to be right in God's sight? As we think about that question, I want us to turn our attention this morning to Romans 5, the passage that Boone read just a moment ago. If you haven't already opened your Bibles there, please do so. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. In our lesson last Sunday morning, we talked about how God justifies people. How does God make us right in his sight? And the answer that the Bible gives in Romans chapter four, verses one through 12, is that God justifies people by faith, not by works. What that means is that God is the one who saves us. We cannot save ourselves. Even if you lived a wonderful, good, moral life, unless you are perfect, unless you keep all of God's commandments without fail for your entire life, you cannot be right in God's sight. That's one of the main ideas of the early chapters of Romans, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, verse 23. That there is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3, verse 10. Cursed is everyone who tries to keep all the works of the law because if you fail in one spot, in one particular, you become guilty of all. Galatians 3 verse 10 and James chapter 2 verses 10 through 13. If we try to justify ourselves by keeping the law perfectly, the Bible says we're going to fail. What we must do instead is we must put our trust in Jesus and the cross Because when Jesus went to the cross, his blood paid the price for every sin that's ever been committed. And if you will put your trust in him and in what he has done for you, you can have cleansing. You can be forgiven. Romans chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. You can be right with God. And so we're not trying as Christians to save ourselves. We're not trying to keep God's word perfectly so that we could somehow take all of our good deeds and put them on the table and say, God, you owe me. I'm I'm ready to be saved now because look at all the good things I did. That is not how salvation takes place. Rather, we are living for Jesus because we have accepted the gift of salvation that he offers us. Romans 6 verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation is something that God gives to us as a gift. We accept it when we repent of our sins and are baptized, believing that Jesus Christ is God's son. We accept the gift into our lives by doing that. 
And when we look at Romans chapter five, because God has given us salvation as a gift, sometimes when you give people a gift, you wanna say a few words. Especially if the gift is really significant, really expensive, really meaningful. If it's something that is, is given on a, on a really important occasion, you don't just hand the gift over and say, here, and expect for the person to respond. You, you say some things and you talk about the meaning and the significance of what it is that you've given somebody. That's what Romans 5 is. Romans 5 is God saying, I have given you, I have justified you by faith, put your trust in me, I'll save you, you can't save yourself. If you'll trust Jesus and what he did at the cross and live for him and follow him, then I'll save you as a gift. And in Romans 5, especially we're gonna look this morning at verses one through five, but this could be extended through the rest of the chapter. God is saying, I wanna tell you about the meaning of this. I wanna tell you about what I've done for you. I wanna to talk to you about how much you mean to me and about how this, how this gift affects your life and what it does. When you put your trust in Jesus and you decide that you're going to emphasize him and live for him and he's gonna be your Lord and you're gonna be baptized into him, when you do that, here is what happens. Here are some of the blessings that I have laid up for you. I believe it would be wise sometimes to read some of the Bible as if God were just writing us a letter and what you can look at in Romans chapter five, verses one through five, this is something of a letter from God's heart to yours. Wherever you are in life, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you've obeyed the gospel or not, wherever you are, this is God speaking to you. And it's as if he's offering a gift and maybe you've accepted the gift and maybe you haven't, but it's God offering the gift. And here is what he's saying to you. Here are three things that he wants you to hear in your ears, in your heart, to know what he means to you, what you mean to him. As you look at Romans chapter five, verses one and two, notice this, God is saying, I have made a better way for you. If you're outside of Jesus Christ this morning, if you're not a Christian, God wants you to know there's a better way. It may be a way that you haven't considered or maybe you've considered it and you've said, that's not for me. But God says, if you believe me, and if you believe in what I'm able to do, I have made a better way for you to live. I've made a better way. And if you're a Christian, God is saying, hold on to these things, hold on to this. Notice in Romans 5 verse one, the word therefore begins the chapter. And if you're a good Bible student, when you see the word therefore, you look at what it's there for. God has been talking in chapter four about justification by faith, about how God gives us salvation as a gift. Therefore, here's what I'm doing. Here's what's happening when you're saved. I've made a better way for you. And I want you to, to appreciate what God has done in this particular couple of verses. There are three specific blessings that God says come with salvation in Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. Three specific blessings. Because you have accepted what Jesus has done for you at the cross, in the first place, we have, because we've been justified, peace with God. You see that in verse 1? We have peace with God and it comes by one way and one way only, through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, maybe you're sitting there and you say, well, what does it mean that I have peace with God? And why is that even important? Why, why is that even something that I ought to be concerned about? Because if you look down in Romans 5, verse 10, in Romans 5, verse 10, the Bible says we were and are, if we're outside of Christ, enemies of God. God looks at us and God says, you are my enemy. If you have sinned against me, if you have violated my command, you knew it was wrong and you did it anyway, you have become an enemy of mine, God says. James 4 verses 1 through 4 says something similar. Whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You don't want God to be your enemy. God is sovereign, he is divine, there is no power greater and there is no wrath that is less, that, that, that you, there, there's no way you can, you can suffer his wrath and endure. In Romans chapter one, verse 18, the Bible speaks about how the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and all ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. God is saying, I am angry over sin and the only way you can have peace with me is through my son, Jesus Christ. An analogy, maybe you've got a good friend, maybe your spouse, and you have an argument. You do something that is offensive to that other person. I mean, you really mess up and you do something that's really offensive and you really hurt them deeply. The question, if you want the relationship to continue is, how do we become at peace again? How can I, we say it this way, how can I make this up to you? Right? How do I make this up to you? What can I do to show you that I love you, that I care about you? What can I do to make this offense that I've committed go away? And the Bible is saying, brothers and sisters and friends, if you've sinned against God, the only way the offense goes away is through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross so that you don't have to suffer God being your enemy. You can have peace with him because of what Jesus did at the cross. He made peace. Ephesians chapter two, verses 14 through 18 speaks about Jesus tearing down walls and Jesus binding people together by his blood and Jesus becoming our peace and preaching peace to people. Jesus came to say, God is upset. He is angry because of sin and the only way you can have peace is through my blood. My blood is being shed so that you can have remission of sins. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28. God is saying, you can have peace with me. Things can be right between us if you'll come to Jesus and accept him and what he's done at the cross. But not only that, as you continue looking at the passage, not only is peace with God mentioned, but access to God's grace. Talk about blessings and benefits. It goes on to say in verse two, through Jesus, through whom my translation says, through Jesus also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Notice the access is when we accept what Jesus has done for us. He died for us on the cross and when we accept that gift and we say, I need Jesus to save me from my sin because I can't save myself. I need him to pay the price because I can't pay the price on my own. By faith when we do that, we gain access into grace in which we stand. The word grace means blessing. It means favor. Oftentimes in our Bible classes, we define it as unmerited favor. How God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. How God gives his riches at Christ's expense to us. And the idea of Romans 5 verse 2 
is that when you become a Christian, when you decide that I need Jesus to save me from my sin because I can't save myself and I'm gonna live for him now, when you decide that, God has a storehouse of riches and blessings that he calls grace and he makes those available in your life. It does not mean, by the way, that God's gonna remove all of your suffering. He's gonna talk about that in verses three and four in just a moment. What it does mean though, is that God is going to find ways to continually bless your life. And when you need help, you have access to the grace that God provides, grace that is sufficient for you. 2 Corinthians 12, verses seven through 10. Grace that is abundant and instructive. Titus chapter two, verses 11 and 12. The grace that God has is available to you. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 says, we may boldly come to the throne of his grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. By what right can you come to God and pray to him and ask him for grace? Because of what Jesus, your high priest has done. That's Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Because by faith you've accepted what Jesus has done for you at the cross, God says, come and abide and dwell in my blessings and my grace. I will take care of you. I will provide what you need. Not everything you want and not everything to make you comfortable, but what you need to become my servant and to live for me. Access to grace. And then the passage goes on as you look at verse two and it says, we also rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This blessing talks about our future. It talks about how God has laid up a glorious future for everyone who comes to Jesus. You see, it's like giving a gift to somebody. You don't just hand the gift over and say, here you go. You hand the gift over and you say, I want you to know that I am so thankful for you and I, you're such a blessing to me. And I, I wanna give you this and here's the meaning of what I'm giving you. That's what God's doing. He's saying, when you become a Christian, when you decide that Jesus is the only one who can save you and you humble yourself and admit that you're lost without him and you come to him by faith and say, I need Jesus to save me from my sin. God says, I'm gonna give you a hope. You can rejoice every day in the hope of glory, the hope that there is an inheritance laid up for you, which is imperishable, undefiled, reserved with your name on it in heaven for you. First Peter chapter one and verse four. Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians three verse 20. And you and I as Christians, no matter what's going on in our lives and no matter how dire and difficult things might look, we always have in every situation a reason to rejoice. We have a reason to glory because God has saved us from our sins and he has promised us a bright future because of what Jesus has done. It all goes back to Jesus. It all goes back to what he accomplished at the cross. Hope of glory. And we can sing songs like, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. We can sing songs like that. Here we are, but straying pilgrims. Here our path is often dim, but God has laid up something better for us. 
we can sing those things. We could talk about how we're strangers and pilgrims on the earth. First Peter chapter two, verses 11 and 12, how we're just sojourners here. We're not here to put down deep roots and to make homes and lives for ourselves in a permanent kind of way, but we realize we're just traveling somewhere else. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Blessings that come when you and I decide that we're going to accept the gift of salvation that God provides through the cross, through Jesus and his blood. God says, I've made a better way for you. You can have peace, you can have access to grace and all the blessings you need to sustain you in this life, and you can also have the hope of the glory of being my child and living with me forever. Blessings, and if God stopped right there, that would be enough. But he goes on and says, there's even more than that. Because somebody who's listening to Paul write these words in verses one and two of Romans chapter five might say, but, but Paul, I gotta tell you about the stuff I'm going through. And it's not easy and it's not fun. I've gotta tell you about my chronic illness. I need to tell you about the people that are badgering me because I'm a Christian now and I don't live the way I used to. Paul, I need to tell you about my relationship with my spouse and how difficult that is and, and the trials that come with that. I need to tell you about the, the children that, that I've raised that have turned their backs on God and it is tough and it's difficult. I need to tell you about those things, Paul, because you're talking about peace and grace and hope and those are good things, Paul, but what about my life and what I'm going through? Look at verses three and four, Romans chapter five. Here's God speaking to you and God says, not only do I have a better way for you, but I give you a hope that transcends your trials. Read verses three and four with me. Romans five, verse three. Not only that, those blessings that we just talked about, peace and access and hope, not only that, but we Christians also glory, we boast in tribulations, all those situations I just dealt with a moment ago, the sufferings that we experience, we rejoice, we boast in those things. And here's why, because we know that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. My family took a trip this week. We, we kind of got away for a few days, which I was thankful for to be able to just kind of step back from life and all of its busyness and, and to just spend some time just relaxing. We took a trip that lasted about five and a half hours driving time. I don't know if you've ever tried this with kids, but you don't get into a van or a car with kids and not have a place to go. It's just not wise. You don't take a five and a half hour trip when you really, you know, you start out, I, I just don't know where we're going. Because you've got questions from the back seat with the kids, right? How long until we get there? Are we making progress? Where are we going? You don't get into the car without a destination because being in the car is its own special form of suffering. <laughs> it just is. When I was a teenager, I used to think taking long road trips was fun. I do not think that anymore. I'm not a teenager anymore. Taking long road trips is not fun. It's not enjoyable. It's its own special form of suffering. And even when you stop at Bucky's, you still have to deal with the college crowds and millions of people from wall to wall. It's its own special form of suffering. Why do you stick with it then? Why do you stay for the five and a half hours in the car? The reason is because of the hope that's set before you. 
And that's exactly the point that Paul's making in, a, in Romans chapter five, verses three and four. He's saying that whatever it is that we're suffering, and Job said, when you live in this world, you're gonna suffer. Man who is born of woman, that's all of us, is a few days and many troubles. That's your life. Few days, many troubles, that sums us up. And so, why do we continue in this world? Why do we continue to struggle and to strive and to try to please God, especially in these sufferings? I mean, it might make my suffering less if I turned away from the things God's telling me to do. But Paul says this, he says, no, your suffering produces endurance or perseverance and your endurance produces character and your character, it says, produces hope. Now let's unpack that for just a moment. What he's saying is this, because of what Jesus has done for us at the cross and because we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, verse two, we now take that hope and we now take that destination to which we are headed and that destination becomes everything for us. The fact that I am going somewhere, the fact that I have a destination, all of a sudden makes the trip bearable in the sense that I know that every step I take is getting me closer home. I can deal with five and a half hours if I know how far the destination is and I know what's gonna happen when I get there. And the idea of a Christian life is, as we suffer and as we deal with difficulties and trials, we realize that God has given us a hope that transcends all those trials. God has said, in fact, this, all things work together for good to those who love me, to those who are the called according to my purpose. That's even the trials. God can use the trials in my life and your life for good. That doesn't mean they're easy and it doesn't mean that we enjoy going through them, but God can use these things and work them out for our good. And notice the pattern. It says trials happen and what Christians respond with is endurance. In your patience, you possess your souls, Jesus says. Luke 21, verse 19. Patience is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, And it is also an expression of love, biblically. 1 Corinthians 13, verse four. Love is patient. And what God says is, when you suffer, I need you to be patient because of the destination. And as we are patient, as we endure these things with faith in God, the Bible goes on to say that that's going to produce in us character. Character, sincerity. Do you really mean it? The fact that you've become a Christian, do, do you really mean that you want to be a servant of Jesus? Do you really sincerely want to help other people go to heaven? Do you really sincerely want to live for him? It's character. The Bible says about Timothy that Paul sent Timothy to Philippi because he had no one like-minded who would sincerely care for those people's souls. And then he went on to say in the same passage of Philippians chapter two, he said, you know his proven character. You know his sincerity. The, the way that Timothy lives his life, Timothy really means it. Timothy is living as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a servant of Jesus. And even in his trials, Timothy's not gonna give up. He's not gonna stop. Timothy has a proven character. And what Paul is saying about you and me in Romans chapter five 
is that our trials, when we bear them patiently with faith in God, those trials produce in us character. People look at us and we can look at our own lives and we can ask the question, is there any evidence that I'm a Christian? If people put me on trial for being a child of God, a disciple of Jesus, is there evidence to convict me? That's character. And the character produces, it says, hope. Hope can be used in a couple of senses. It can be used in an objective sense. God has laid up for us treasure in heaven. God has promised us a reward in heaven. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus talks about how I've gone to prepare a place for you. John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3, an objective hope. That's the destination. But there's another sense in which the word hope can be used. It's a subjective sense. You know, for kids that sit in the backseat, and I'm talking about little kids, sit in the backseat of your car and they watch cartoons for five and a half hours, maybe the suffering isn't as great as it is for the parents in the front seat who are dealing with Houston traffic and dealing with I-45 and dealing with danger at every turn and being six feet from death and the intensity of having to concentrate on the road the entire time. It's a different kind of suffering. It's a different kind of emphasis. And the getting to the destination means more to some people than others. Doesn't mean that the reward is not great and doesn't mean it's not the same. It just means that because of what we've suffered and because of what we've endured, for some people, hope is just that much more real. It's that much more precious. You think about what Paul endured. He writes about it in passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and talks about how in 2 Corinthians 11, how he's been shipwrecked and how he's been beaten and how he's been imprisoned and, and left for dead and, and all those things. And he asked the question, I wonder if salvation means more to Paul or whether it means more to me. That's the hope we're talking about. And God is saying to you, come to Jesus, accept what he's done for you at the cross and then live patiently because every step that you take and every day that you live and every trial that you suffer is just getting you one step closer to home and it's gonna be that much more precious the more you suffer, the more you endure. If you don't suffer, you're not gonna be very mature. You're not gonna be very wise. You're not gonna be very patient. You're not gonna be, you're not gonna be everything God would have you to be if you don't suffer some. Suffering has a purpose in our lives. And Paul writes later on in the book of Romans, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Romans chapter eight, verse 18. God is saying, in all your struggles, in all your trials, I have a purpose and you need to keep your eyes on the goal. And then third, when you look at Romans chapter five and God's speaking to us about this gift that he's offered, this salvation that he's provided for us, God just wants you to hear this in Romans chapter five, verse five, I love you utterly and completely. There are people who live their entire lives without ever hearing someone say, I love you. There are children who grow up in homes without ever hearing someone say to them the words, I love you. Don't let that be your home, by the way. You tell your family you love them. They need to hear it. Don't just assume they know it. But even if no human being, even if no living relative ever said to us, I love you, 
you need to hear from God the words, I love you. You are precious to me. You are valuable to me. And immediately when I hear those words, I think, okay, well, but God, everything else your Bible is saying to me is that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost and that your, your wrath is upon the unrighteous. Romans has been saying those things. And even in Romans chapter five, verse six, while we were yet sinners, you know, we're, we're apart from God. While we're yet sinners, Romans chapter five, verse eight, Christ died for us. And while we were enemies of God, God's not mincing words or saying that no, there's not a problem. He is saying this though. I'm giving you this gift. I sent my son to die for you. And I did this because I love you. Because you mean something to me. And the love that I have for you is not just kind of a casual, you know, I love other people's kids, but I love my kids, you know. It's, it's not just a other people's kids kind of love. I love you as if you are my child. You need to hear those words from God. Look at Romans 5, verse 5. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God is saying, I love you. And there are three specifics that you need to pay attention to in this passage. Number one, God is saying, hope won't disappoint. I will not let you down. I love you. I care for you. And if you put your trust in me, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you, I will not disappoint you. I will be there for you. I will sustain you. I will bless you. And I will be a God of grace to you if you'll just trust me. The hope that I provide does not disappoint. You're not going to get to the end of this journey and I'm not gonna pull the rug out from under you or somehow say, ha ha, I made a joke and, and you're lost anyway. I am going to save you. I won't let you down. You know, the people in our lives, even the ones that are very good, they're still gonna let us down sometimes. God doesn't. Secondly, if you notice in this passage, God says, I have poured out my love. He's talking about the gift. Romans 4, the gift of salvation. I'm pouring this out for you. I, it's not just... It's not just pouring like out of a pitcher, just a little bit. It is like the Amazon River flowing towards you. That's the idea of God pouring out his love. I have poured out my love towards you in every imaginable way, in every way that can be significant. God has blessed us and shown us and manifested toward us that he loves us. Look down in the same passage at Romans 5 verse 8. Look at what Romans 5 verse 8 says that God manifests his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do we know God loves us? Because he sent Jesus to die for us and to save us from our sin. And all we have to do is put our faith and trust in him and live for him, accepting the gift of salvation that he provides. That's all we have to do. And God says, I love you and I'll save you and I won't let you down. I've poured out my love. Nobody has ever loved you like God loves you. Not your parents, not your spouse, not your best, best, best friend. Nobody has ever loved you the way God does. Nobody's ever done for you what God has done. And then third, I've given you my spirit. There's this reference to the indwelling of God's spirit at the end of verse five. 
through the Holy Spirit that he has given to us. Yesterday, I was blessed to be able to go to a couple of our, 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 our members' homes to visit. It was a blessing to be in their homes and to visit with them and to talk with them about what's going on in their lives and those kinds of things. It was a blessing. But as much as I love those folks that I went to visit, I know, and as much as I know they love me, they did not want me moving in. They didn't want me to take my clothes and go to the bedroom and set up residence in their homes, right? Coming by for a visit is a blessing, but staying, that's, that's a whole different matter. God is saying to us, I'm not just coming by your life for a visit. I'm not just coming for, to, to, to say hi and I appreciate you and I love you and I'm not just gonna visit for a little bit. I'm moving in. That's the idea of Romans 5, verse 5. Whatever you believe about how the Holy Spirit indwells the Christian, whether it's literally and directly or whether it's representatively through the Word of God, however you believe the Holy Spirit indwells a Christian, the fact is the Bible says that when we become Christians, God moves into our lives and he takes up residence there. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God has given his spirit to those who obey him. Acts 5 verse 32. You are sons of God because of the spirit that he has sent into your hearts. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6. God is saying, I'm taking up residence in your life. I love you. And I love you so much that now because Jesus has cleansed you from your sin and because your sins have been removed, I can move into your life. I love you and I've given you my spirit. That's the significance of Romans 5, verse 5. People everywhere need to hear this message. There is a God and he loves you. And he loves you so much that he has offered the most precious gift that anyone could ever receive. And it changes everything about the way we live our lives. It changes how we look at our present and our future. And it changes how we look at our trials. And it changes how we look even at God himself. Here's what this gift means. Do you accept it? Do you want it? Is this of interest to you? Those are questions that God is asking you this morning. Being right with God, being at peace with God. Those things are precious beyond compare. There is nothing in this world that is so valuable that you should logically hold on to it at the expense of your own soul. God is good, he is wise, and he is powerful. And everything he has promised us, he is able to provide. Would you accept by faith the gift that he provides for you? If you're here this morning and you need to obey the gospel to accept that Jesus died for you and that you need the gift of salvation that he provided at the cross, repent of your sin, be baptized, immersed into Christ for the remission of your sin. And these gifts, these blessings that God provides, peace with him, access to grace, these are yours as well. If we can help you obey the gospel this morning, why don't you come all together we stand and while we sing.